Do you remember Wednesday evening? It seems like years and years ago, doesn't it? It's only about 38 hours ago. Father Louise was talking to us. What he was saying to us is that we human beings were created by God for God. We're created body and soul. And that material things alone are not enough to satisfy us. We yearn for what is truly spiritual. That's what it is to be human. What that means is that we have a natural desire for God. We are naturally religious. We desire, we yearn to know God. We yearn for him to reveal himself to us. We yearn for communion with him, to share our deepest existence with him, and for him to share himself with us. That's the way God has made us, and he made us that way because he wants to fulfil us by the gift of himself, body and soul, matter and spirit. And that's why, as human beings, we are only fulfilled by Jesus Christ. As human beings, the way that we get to know anybody best is by meeting them. You all know that, you know, emails and phone calls are great, But really, to get to know somebody, you've got to meet them. You've got to share the same place with them. You've got to share your life with them, your time with them. You've got to be together. And God wants us to have that with him as well. Not just to know about him by hearsay, but to meet him, to encounter him, for him to be one of us, so that we can get to know him to the fullest possible way a human being can. And as Father Tim was saying yesterday, we couldn't have dreamt up how that could happen. But when God chose the way of becoming a human being, when he chose the way of incarnation, we can now see that that is the ultimate way that we can be fulfilled. We are totally fulfilled, body and soul, in God who has become true human being whilst remaining true God. So why aren't we all Christians? Because of sin. When sin came into the world, we turned our back on God. We damaged ourselves. Our minds were darkened, and our wills were distorted, and we no longer see God clearly, and we no longer yearn for God clearly. We no longer desire and will God perfectly. We're damaged. But we're not totally destroyed. There still remains in us that basic desire, that deep-down desire for God. And that's why even though people throughout the world have lost sight of the one true God, they still yearn for something more. They reach out, desiring God, and so various religions have arisen in the world. Those religions are human creations. They're not revealed by God. But God is not snobbish, and God will give his grace to all people who are open to that gift of grace. So in other religions, we will find what is good and what is true, mixed in with error and badness, but there will be real goodness and truth there. But all of that will be looking to Jesus Christ. People of other religions don't know it, but when Jesus Christ comes, he is the fulfilment of that longing for God 
that is present in every religion. If it hadn't been for sin, we would all have started as Israelites, the Old Testament people of God, and we would all have become Christians. As it is, only some of us are privileged with that fullness of truth, fullness of goodness, and it's our duty to share it with others. But how come our society, which was only a few hundred years ago so gloriously Christian, how come our society in the last few hundred years has lost that faith, has lost that fulfillment in Jesus Christ? How come our world is now so secular, as Sister Andrea was telling us about? How did it go so horribly wrong? What I'd like to do is to share with you the way that Pope Benedict analysed that in his famous or even infamous address at Regensburg University a few months ago. I think he got it spot on right. He too starts off with saying that Christ, the word of God, the logos of God, is at the heart of the truth. We were created in the image and likeness of God, particularly in the image and likeness of Christ, the word of God. And therefore, our access to God should also be filled with that word, that reason, that mind. Our worship of God must be intelligent, rational worship. And if you let go of that, things start to go horribly wrong. The first thing that goes wrong is that you no longer think that you have to teach other people and explain the faith to them and convince them. You just make them believe with the sword. And it was for pointing that out in some of the history of Islam that caused all the controversy. But in fact, if you've read Pope Benedict's address to that university, you'll find his critique is much more devastating of the Christian West. Much more devastating of our culture. Basically, he does it, he sees it in three stages. The first stage is this, the Reformation. When Martin Luther came along and wanted to criticise the way that the Catholic Church was running things, one of the things he said was we need to get back to a religion based just on scripture, sola scriptura. We need to leave aside all this sort of philosophy and metaphysics and all that sort of reason stuff. That's all a load of incrustation that shouldn't belong to religion. Just sweep that away, get rid of that philosophical reason side and just go back to the pure faith based on the Bible, sola scriptura. He said, human reason has nothing to say to faith. Human reason has nothing to say to faith. What a disaster. And a couple of hundred years later, Immanuel Kant, a great philosopher, according to some anyway, says, I must lay aside thinking in order to make room for faith. I must lay aside thinking in order to make room for faith. How stupid. And you know it's stupid, and everybody knew it was stupid. And so the second stage is that those people who think say, well, if reason has got nothing to say to faith, Well, then faith has got nothing to say to reason either. 
All this, you know, God and faith and miracles and the supernatural, that's a load of mumbo-jumbo. Got to get rid of that. You've got to demythologize your religion, all these stories about gods and miracles and what have you. Get rid of all of that rising from the dead, for goodness sake. Just got to get back to what is truly at the heart of religion, so they say, basically ethics. Jesus, the person who taught us how to be nice to each other. That you can hang on to. And all this other Jesus is God and the Holy Trinity nonsense, sweep that all away. That's the second stage. And then the third stage says, well, actually, even all this ethics business, how to be good, that's really all sort of mythical as well, isn't it? After all, reason is basically about mathematics and science. We know we can trust them, and all the rest is just various degrees of personal feeling. And if I happen to think something's wrong, if I feel it's wrong, it's wrong for me. And if you feel it's right, well, that's okay for you. So you end up going the whole hog basically down to materialism and secularism. The only thing we can rely on is science, and the rest is junk. So there you have it. Three quick and easy lessons from Catholicism to the secular world we live in. It strikes right to the heart of what is real in religion. We've seen in the first place you have to get rid of absolute religious truth. It has to be junked, absolute truth. So really what you ought to be is an atheist, or at best an agnostic. But if you must hang on to religion, you've got to admit it's just about personal experiences and feelings. And let's face it, experiences and feelings are subjective. My experiences are no better or no worse than yours. They're just different. My experiences are equally lovely as yours and equally relative. And therefore, my religion is just as lovely or just as awful as yours and just different, just as relative. It's all up to individual feeling. And so, Jesus Christ and the church and the sacraments and church dogma are all mythical and all relativised and all up for grabs if you want them, and you can junk them if you don't want them. And so, of course, are Allah and the Quran and Buddha and the Greek gods and whoever else you care to choose. If you want them, that's fantastic, and if you don't, you can ditch them. It's all just up to your feelings. There are no truth claims involved at all. Except, of course the dogma, that there are no truth claims in religion. Spot the contradiction there. The modern world says there's no truth about religion, except that there's no truth about religion. There is a religious truth there. It's all rubbish. That's what they're telling you. There's at least one religious truth, even according to the secularists. So if we say all of these bits of religion are in fact just myths, and the real heart is morals... Who tells you what's good and bad? Nobody. It's only your feelings. So we're left with moral relativism as well. And all of this relativism contrasts so sharply with science. 
Because in science, we don't say, well, if you think that gravity works, that's great for you. It doesn't happen to be true for me. You know, if I jump out of a window, I'm going to fall down willy-nilly, whether I happen to feel that gravity is a good thing or not. It's just true. We all know that science is universally valid, is universally true. We know we don't know everything about science, yet we've got to discover some more, but we know we will discover the truth when we do the science. When we look out there, we will discover the way things really are. And the proof is our technology. It works. It doesn't just work if it feels right for you. It just works. It's true. And science doesn't just give us technology. It explains the world around us. It explains rainbows and lightning and volcanoes and earthquakes and stars and planets and why the grass is green and why the sky is blue and why sprouts are good for you even if you don't like them and why butter's bad for you even if you do like it. And it explains more than that. It explains where babies come from. It explains where the human race comes from by evolution. It explains how the original organic chemicals that made life were created on the early Earth through the laws of chemistry. It explains how the Earth formed four billion years ago out of gas and dust in this part of the world, in this part of the universe. It explains how the atoms that make up this Earth, the atoms in your bodies, were made inside stars billions of years before that. And the stars blew up and blew those atoms out into the rest of space. Science explains how the whole universe emerged from a Big Bang 14 billion years ago. We know these things. They're not just ideas that you can hang on to if it feels nice for you. We know they're true. So who wouldn't be an atheist? All this religion stuff's just weird feeling. But science we know is true. You've got to be an atheist, surely. And you've got to junk all this spooky soul nonsense, this spirituality lark. That's all a load of mumbo-jumbo as well. We know we've just evolved from apes. We're jumped-up apes. So, let's get rid of religion, let's get rid of morals, and I say thank goodness for that, if only there was a goodness to thank. <laughs> End of part one. Part two. How on earth can religion respond to this situation? What has religion got to say to a world that is fundamentally convinced of the value of science, but totally unconvinced of the value of faith or the value of morals. What can religion say? There are various possible answers. One possible answer is to say, human reason, who cares, chuck it in the dustbin, let's just all run away from it, let's just go and have a nice experience. Let's consult the back page of our newspaper and see what the stars say about what, how my life should be run. That's just going to religion, to reason. That's just saying, let's just be totally daft, do something wacky. What about New Age? Let's go and hug a tree. <laughs> That's just junking reason. The New Age movement is anti-rational. It deliberately says, leave behind what you understand through science, through reason, and just be irrational and enjoy the ecstasy, enjoy the intoxication of the funny feelings you get. 
but that's got no answer to our modern world. All that says is just run away and pretend it's not there. But what about if we turn to the religions of Asia then? What if we turn to, say, Hinduism? Can that say anything more? Hinduism is a huge mixture of ideas, and they're not all consistent with one another. They're mixtures of ideas which are hugely ancient, going back thousands of years, and some ideas which are much more contemporary. Hinduism is pluralistic. It claims to be able to hold together ideas that are contradictory in one big mix. So it already says that, really, the ideas are up to you and what you feel like, and don't worry too much about how they fit together rationally. Basically, at the surface level at least, Hinduism is polytheistic. They believe in lots of gods. But you can either say, yes, there really are lots of gods, or they're all manifestations of one god. God may be some sort of impersonal force in the universe, or God may be personal, or maybe God is actually really identified with the universe, that the whole universe is God, that's pantheism or that God is somehow just present in the universe, panentheism. God is just in the universe. Pick which one of those you like. And Hinduism also believes in reincarnation. When we die, we come back as either another human being, or maybe an animal, or goodness only knows what. But the aim of the Hindu religion is to escape that cycle of reincarnation. Because if we keep coming back and back and back, it's pretty horrible. The aim of Hindu religion is to escape that cycle and, as it were, to escape from the universe to become merged with God. But given that God is sort of basically some impersonal force associated with the universe, that really means sort of disappearing into unconsciousness, disappearing almost into nothingness. And an image that's sometimes used is like a raindrop disappearing into the ocean. That when you escape from that endless cycle of reincarnation, you're like a raindrop that falls into the sea, and suddenly it's sort of lost in the huge expanse of God, and that's it. And then you're, you're at peace in that sort of nothingness. Is that an answer? Well, first of all, there's no answer to why the world should be rational. Why should science work? In fact, quite the opposite. If Hinduism is pluralistic and holds together all sorts of contradictory ideas, then there's no absolute truth about anything. If it's polytheistic, if there are many gods, then we wouldn't expect the world to be coherent. We wouldn't expect the world to show one line of coherent wisdom. We'd expect there to be all sorts of different ideas, a jumble. We'd expect the universe to be a chaos, not a cosmos. If we fall into pantheism and say that the whole world is sort of God, then you can't investigate the world by science, because that would be investigating mystery. You can't investigate mystery with science. So don't worry about science, that's never going to work. And if we're trying to escape from reincarnation, escape from the world, that's because the world's bad. The only reason you want to escape from anything is because it's bad. So in the end, you've got a world that is irrational, chaotic, beyond reason, 
and bad. Doesn't really fit in with the scientific worldview, does it? Hinduism hasn't got a fat lot to say to our modern culture. Again, the only answer it's got is run away. Maybe we'd better try something monotheistic. At least if you've got monotheism, you've got revelation as the basis of your religion rather than just religious experience. You've got something objective, something historical, rather than something merely subjective and mythical. It'll emphasise the difference between God and the world. What about Islam? Maybe that's got something to say. In Islam, God is utterly and uncompromisingly transcendent. He is completely above this world, full stop, end of story. He's totally beyond our knowledge and our understanding. Even in Revelation, in Islam, God remains totally above our knowledge and our understanding. For Islam, God doesn't reveal himself. He only reveals his will. So we don't get to know him. We just get to know what he tells us to do. And so the aim of Islam is to obey, to submit. The word Islam means submission. It's not about communion or knowledge or understanding of God. It's just about submission, obey. And their idea of the scriptures, the Quran, is also seen as something eternal, something unchangeable, a heavenly text, word for word with God in heaven, that was literally dictated by the Archangel Gabriel to Muhammad. It's even by most Muslims considered as uncreated. Incidentally, that provides a very interesting link with the idea of the uncreated word of God that we have in Christianity, Jesus Christ. But that's for another day. The word of God literally existed from all eternity in Arabic, in the form that they have in the Quran, with God in heaven, and it was literally just dictated to Muhammad, he wrote it down, and now they've got it in the Quran. Simply given, and therefore, it has to be simply interpreted, straightforwardly. This is literally God's words, word for word, and therefore you can't say, well, what does this mean, and what was he trying to drive at, and so forth. Look, this is what God has actually said, it's his eternal word, there's no compromise, no question of interpretation, trying to understand it, trying to understand the metaphors, and so forth. No, this is God's word, so you've got to interpret it fundamentally, absolutely literally. So what idea of the relationship of faith and reason does this give us? The early minority view in Islam was that reason and revelation are complementary ways to gain guidance. But the later view, and the view that became influential, the view that became dominant, is really that reason is suspect. It wants to defend non-rational aspects of belief, because God transcends every possible human understanding. God is so far above us that we can't even begin to understand him, 
So don't use your brain to try and understand him. Just do what he says. Just obey. Revelation is above the requirements of reason. And we can't understand why God says some things are good and some things are evil. He just decides that in his omnipotence. He just sits there in beautiful transcendent majesty and says, I decide that this is good and that's evil. So do that and don't do that. And that's the end of the story. Don't try and argue with me. Don't try and understand it. Just do it. All human reason is therefore suspect. You've got to marginalize reason. And it comes from two fundamental errors. It comes from the error of seeing the Quran as eternal and uncreated because the Quran revelation therefore doesn't have a human aspect. Therefore it doesn't reach out to the fullness of human beings. It doesn't have a human aspect. It's purely on God's part. Therefore we can't recognize the human imagery the human cultural influences and so forth. Therefore, in trying to understand the Quran, you can't respond to modern discoveries. You can't gain new insights. All you can do is reiterate what was always said in the first place. And the deeper error is giving that priority to the will of God, the decree of God, rather than the truth of God and the reason of God. Reason is suspect. And so again, the Islam has nothing to say ultimately to the modern scientific culture. Because modern scientific culture says, we understand with our reason and we know it works. And you are suspicious of reason. We have no reason to be suspicious of reason. It works. Our whole life is made so much easier and more wonderful because of the application of our reason. And if you tell me to run away from reason, I'm running away from you. The only response of Islam to the challenge of the modern secular world is retreat and defense. So is there a path for religion to counteract the modern world, to respond positively to our scientific culture? Yes, there surely is. And that answer is Roman Catholicism. You'll be surprised to hear me say. (laughs) But it's true. The first thing that we have to establish is the right relationship between our reason and our religion. For Catholics, from the very beginning, we have known that human reason has a central place in our religion. It's what St. Paul taught in his letter to the Romans. Ever since God created the world, his everlasting power and deity, however invisible, have been there for the mind to see in the things he has made. St. Paul, writing in the middle of the first century, says, we can know God with our mind from the things he has made. Our mind is to be used in our worship of God, in our relationship with God. Use your reason. Actually, it's even there in the Old Testament too. 
little bit of the book of wisdom. All men who were ignorant of God were foolish by nature. Foolish, not reasonable. From the greatness and beauty of created things comes a corresponding perception of their creator. If these people had the power to know so much that they could investigate the world, if they could be scientists, how did they fail to find sooner the Lord of these things? Even in the Old Testament, there's a recognition that reason has a central place in our relationship to God. And it's there supremely in St. John's theology. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, the Logos, that Greek word from which we get logic, from which we get the ending of all our words like biology and psychology, that logic, that understanding, that mind, that reason. In the beginning was the reason. And the reason was with God. And the reason was God. It's a hugely important text of the Bible. And this idea that reason has a crucial place in our relationship to God is there in all the fathers of the church, all the fathers that um, Father Tim was talking to you about yesterday. It's there in Justin, it's there in Augustine, it's there in St. Thomas Aquinas, superbly. And this counteracts so much, it's so much in contrast with that idea, that deadly idea of blind faith that we saw in Luther, Human reason has nothing to say to faith, or in Immanuel Kant, I must lay aside thinking to make room for faith. Or Karl Barth, who sees faith as sheer paradox, independent of and contrary to reason. So no wonder the great prophets of atheism in our time, like Richard Dawkins, say something like this. That is Richard Dawkins. There we go. Faith means blind trust. In the absence of evidence, even in the teeth of evidence. That's his idea of what faith is. No wonder he says it, given what some of those Protestant people were saying. But as Catholics, we know he's wrong. So this is what the church says. Vatican I, about 130, 140 years ago, said this. The ascent of faith is by no means a blind impulse of the mind. Right reason demonstrates the foundations of the faith. There can be no conflict between faith and reason because both come from the one God, the God who created the world, who created our minds, is also the God who has revealed himself. And God is not divided against himself. There can be no contradiction. So got that straight. Reason is central in our relationship, in our relationship to God. Next point we need. The truth about God and the world. First thing, God exists. He's not a myth. Second thing, God is not the world. So, we can investigate the world. It's not blasphemy to investigate the world as if the world was div divine. It's not foolish as if, if the world is divine, the world will be mystery, so we can't investigate it. The world is not God, it's not divine. 
So it's okay and it's good to investigate the world. God created the world so it's good. So when we do science, we're going to be encountering something positive. It will be interesting, it will be fruitful, it will be good for us. Yes, of course, we can abuse it, like we can abuse every good thing. But basically, science is a good thing to do, because God has made the world good. And God is one, one principle. Therefore, the world that he made will be coherent. It will be a cosmos, not a chaos. We expect science to work. We expect science to uncover a beautiful unity in the world made by God. And that is what we discover. So God can be known by our reason. When we look at the world, we can see God. Again, Vatican I teaching 130 years ago. If anyone says that that the one true God, our creator and Lord, cannot be known with certainty with the light, natural light of human reason through the things that are created, anathema sit. In other words, if you say that you cannot know God with your reason, you're a heretic. That's how much we value human reason in our religion. If you say you can't even know God with your reason, you're a heretic. God created the world through his word, through his logos, through his reason, through his mind. Not just by the decree of his will, but through his word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, through the word. And so... The order of the world which we discover in science reveals the mind of God. And more than that, the development of the world reveals the purpose of God. When God made the world, he had a purpose in mind. He had a purpose and he had it in mind and we can see that purpose when we use our mind. And what is it? It's Christ. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created. What's the purpose of the world? They are created in Christ. All things were created through him, through the word, and for him. What's it all for? It's for Christ. That's where we came in at the beginning of my talk. All things are for Christ. In him all things hold together. In Christ alone all things make sense. St Paul says it again in his letter to the Ephesians. You know these texts. He, God, chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. He destined us in love to be his sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. He has made known to us in all wisdom and insight, not just by his decree, but by his wisdom and insight, the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, 
as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. So we've got the truth about God and the world. God is one and good and mind, and therefore we see a world that is harmonious, one, rational, true, and good. And so we expect a world that we can investigate with science, and we expect a good application of science to point us back to God. Now we need the truth about revelation. God is transcendent. He is in no way equal to the world. He is supremely above it, but he has revealed himself fully. He has come into the world in person. He doesn't just reveal his will. He doesn't just tell you what to do. He has revealed himself. He communicates himself. And he does it in human ways because we are human. Because if we want to get to know God, we need to get to know him in a human way. Because we're human. So God uses human words, and human language, and human culture, and human imagery, and human existence, and human nature. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And here at last we find the meaning of the world, the meaning of the cosmos. It's all for Christ. Science knows that the world has meaning. Science discovers the beginning of meaning in the world. But science on its own cannot find the full meaning of the world. It knows that there's a meaning out there, but it knows it can't reach it because science only investigates matter. And the meaning of the world is not just in matter but also, and more fully, in spirit. Science yearns for and reaches out for a meaning, but that meaning is provided by God's revelation, by God's incarnation. At last, we have an answer to the modern secular world. No other religion can do this, because for every other religion, ultimately the universe is mysterious, or irrational, or chaotic, or evil. And so we must run away from it, because ultimately, for every other religion, the world is meaningless. But for us as Catholics, the world is full of meaning. And that meaning is Christ. So we should do science. We should investigate the world with our minds, openly, joyfully. And it will lead us to God to the true meaning of the world. And then finally, we need the truth about Scripture and about doctrine. Scripture, for us as Catholics, is certainly the inspired word of God. God is the author of every word in the Bible. But it's also a human word. The human beings who wrote it, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, Isaiah, whoever else, they are also true authors. The scriptures share in the nature of the incarnation. They use human things 
for God to, cre- to communicate humanly. So we don't just interpret the Bible in a fundamentalist, literalist way. We actually interpret it by looking deeper. What is the meaning of these images? What are the bits of the Bible that are expressed in the cultural terms of ancient Israel? What did they mean? How can we understand them in our culture? Not junking the meaning, but recognising the humanity in there as well as the divinity. We cannot be fundamentalists. The Bible needs to be interpreted. But that doesn't mean we can interpret it any old how and junk dogma wholesale. You actually need to interpret the Bible properly. The Bible is not enough on its own. Sola Scriptura doesn't work. You also need human reason. You need the tradition. And you need the teaching of the church. If the Word of God was inspired by the Holy Spirit, then you need the Holy Spirit active in the church to interpret it. The two go hand in hand. The Holy Spirit inspired it, The Holy Spirit interprets it in the living magisterium of the church. That's why you've got to be a Catholic to be a Christian. Otherwise, you have to be a fundamentalist or a raving liberal. There's no other option. Fundamentalist, raving liberal, Roman Catholic. And I know which one I'm going for. There's only one that makes sense. There's only one that accounts for all the data. We'll also find, therefore, that there'll be a development of doctrine because the Holy Spirit is active in the church. The church will respond to heresies, as Father Tim was talking about yesterday. The church will respond to developing theological reflection. And the teaching of the church will develop in response to scientific discoveries. We'll be looking again and again for new syntheses to incorporate the truth that we discover in science into our understanding of all things, our understanding of God and our understanding of his world and his purposes and of Jesus Christ. So, conclusions. In Jesus Christ, the word, the logos, the mind of God made flesh, and in his church, and in that alone, we have an answer for our secular world. In this alone, we expect the universe to be rational, created good and true by God, created with meaning, And that meaning is for himself alone. True religion, Roman Catholicism, is reasonable, it's rational. And in fact, it's the only reasonable position to take. Nothing else makes sense of you as a human being, as a spiritual, rational and bodily being. Only Roman Catholicism, only Jesus Christ and his church, explain that, account for that, and show the meaning of who you are. So, believe it with confidence and joy, and get out into this world that needs it, and preach it with confidence and joy.